At 27 years old, Tiffany Pham redefined the term mogul after founding her company, Mogul, a social empire that connects women from across the globe. The platform provides them education, employment opportunities, and information access, and her accomplishments haven't gone unnoticed. Not only was she named in Forbes 30 Under 30 and Business Insider's 30 Most Important Women Under 30, but Ivy recognized her talents early on, awarding Tiffany an Ivy Innovator Award in 2014. In this podcast, Tiffany shares her story and the lessons she's learned about forging your own path and following your passions. Discover the secrets to breaking through the noise in this age of disruption. This podcast is presented by Convene. I'm so excited to be here. It really is a special moment because Mogul was actually back in 2014 the winner of the 2014 Ivy Award at that year, Ivy Innovator Award, and that kind of kick-started all the momentum to become what we are today. So it really is so special to be here with you all. And I'm excited to be able to share with you the journey since, all the lessons I learned along the way, but most importantly, the mistakes I made, the many, many mistakes I made, because my hope by the end of our session together is that you get to apply all the lessons that I learned, all the mistakes I made to yourselves right away so that you can accelerate yourself personally, professionally, and become moguls right away today. So my story actually begins initially with family, with family uh, that inspired me to want to become a mogul my great uncle running the equivalent of the economist in vietnam my father was also a huge inspiration to me in france where he was a wonderful advisor in tech and media but actually my biggest role model in life was actually my grandmother because my grandmother was amazing to me she was this maverick who ran newspapers across asia providing others in need with information she was one of the first women actually the first woman to drive a car in saigon in vietnam and i wanted to be exactly like her growing up can you imagine what a maverick she was a mogul to me so i grew up actually because of the war abroad i grew up in paris france initially grew up there had a very idyllic childhood and then my parents started watching black and white movies over and over again. So they were falling in love with Marilyn Monroe films, Audrey Hepburn films, and black and white films that made them realize that America was so incredible. And they hoped for opportunities for us, my siblings and me, and hoped that perhaps by moving there, we could have more educational opportunities. Anyway, so at age 10, out of nowhere, I moved from Paris, France, to Plano, Texas. And when I was there, who here has been to Plano, Texas? Anyone? Oh, a couple of hands. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. We went to the same high school. So I went to Plano Senior High and ultimately had uh, just a very obviously different life thereafter from Paris, France, but I loved it. Friday night football, pickup trucks, and Friday night lights. I mean, just incredible. But it was also amazing because it really had an incredible education system there. And I remember it fondly. And around that time, what happened was that at age 10, I didn't know how to speak English. So I tried to learn a lot by watching TV shows like Friends and I Love Lucy and listening to the radio Delilah on KVIL. Does anyone know her? She plays love songs. And so that's how I learned how to speak English initially. And then I could see for myself how powerful media could be for learning and education. And I never forgot that feeling and experience. And then when I was 14, 
fast forward to when I was 14, that was when my whole entire life changed. The most horrific day of my life was when I was 14. Happened then, when one day, the one person that I looked up to so much in life, the one person that I, was my biggest role model in my whole entire life, my grandmother, that was the day she passed away. And that day that she passed away, I still remember that day so carefully, so vividly. I remember promising her on that day that I would do everything I could to follow in her footsteps. And I was going to dedicate my life, too, towards providing others in need with opportunities just like her. No matter how hard or challenging, I was going to spend every waking moment working towards the same goal and mission, too, just like her. Really, no matter how hard, I was going to do this. So ever since I was 14, since that moment, that's all I've ever worked towards, to fulfill this promise to my grandmother. And so around this time, I remember I didn't have the funds to go visit college. I didn't have the funds to even go to college. But I thought, how could I be like my grandmother? I have to fulfill this promise to her. I have to make this real. So around that time, I thought, uh, well, how can I do this? I watched another TV show, Gilmore Girls. Has anyone seen it? it? The protagonist in the show, Rory Gilmore, she goes off to college, and there she runs the school newspaper, just like my grandmother. So when I saw that TV show, I thought, OK, I should go there, and I should try to run that school newspaper and be like my grandmother there. So having watched the show, that being my only image of what US colleges, what American universities looked like, I applied there to Yale. And I wrote them a letter asking them to please just give me a chance. I knew I could do this one day, be like my grandmother. And so by chance, they gave me the chance. And I ended up there on scholarship. And my very first time there stepping on foot, stepping on the campus grounds was the first time I ever saw a college for myself and what it looked like. And so I was amazed. But, of course, I had, therefore, imposter syndrome. And I really didn't think I belonged. So the whole entire year, first year, went by. And I literally just went from my dorm room to the class to the dorm room and back and didn't make an impact at all. <laughs> so as you can imagine, by the time it hit the summer, I came back to Plano, Texas and thought, wow, what an impact I had, just like my grandmother, right? No impact at all. And at that time, I was really regretful and realized that, yeah, I lacked courage and I lacked confidence. But one thing I definitely didn't want to do, even beyond that, was have regret. I, while I didn't have courage or confidence, I didn't want to have regret. So I, um, I, I remember looking back upon the year and realizing all these things that I should have done. I should have put my foot forward. I should have spoken up in more conversations. I should have participated more in different school activities. So therefore, when I came back to campus my sophomore year, I promised myself I would go for the next opportunity. No matter how small, I was going to put my foot forward. And so then I got an email from the Asian American Students Alliance at Yale um, asking for a webmaster. And I didn't know how to code. I didn't really know what a webmaster was. But I was like, I'll be the webmaster. So I must have been the only one who applied, because I became the webmaster for the Asian American Students Lines. And what was kind of neat was that for this association as part uh, I mean, being the webmaster, one of the benefits was that I got to go to board meetings. So I remember still going into the first board meeting for the Asian American Students Lions. 
and stepping in and being really excited, only to find that everyone was super mad. Everyone was so livid for some reason, and it was because they were so angry that the school newspaper that morning had printed a racist cartoon against Asians. They were so mad they were going to shut it down, they were going to protest it, let's get rid of it, let's protest, shut down this newspaper. I remember them all saying. So they were passing around this newspaper, and then I remember them like flipping the newspaper to the back, and that's when I got the newspaper. And the back of the newspaper had this green ad, like the color of money. And it said that they were looking for a financial analyst. The paper was looking for a financial analyst. And if you were interested, show up to a meeting together with the publisher tomorrow and join the business staff. So I thought to myself, well, what better way to make a change in this organization but to perhaps join them, make a change from the inside out? Because perhaps the reason why they thought it was OK to print this racist cartoon was because they lacked a diverse staff. So I showed up the next day to this meeting with the publisher. And I remember that I was surprised because there were only two of us there present at the meeting. As it turned out, the business staff for the newspaper had completely dwindled. So it was only the two of us because even without a protest, the newspaper was going to shut down. It had actually gone into significant debt and was actually going to approach bankruptcy, and the administration was floating it. And if we didn't do something about it, then all of a sudden it was going to shut down, even without protest. So I remember at this time I was, again, so shy, the introvert, and lacking courage and confidence. But at least like one thing I could do to help the newspaper was at least think about ways in which to cut costs. Like, OK, we'll redistribute the newspaper to different areas where people are actually reading it. Let's cut it away from other areas. Let's uh, cut color ads, make it all black and white, even though obviously color ads were pretty effective, at least on me, right? And then um, we'll c come up with other things. But then I realized. Obviously, when you want a thriving business, you don't just want to cut costs. You also have to ramp up revenue. So then I had to suggest what was probably my worst nightmare at the time, no kidding, uh, which was that we should absolutely roll up our sleeves ourselves and go selling door to door to door. So me, being the shy girl, the introvert, literally, after I made that suggestion, rolled up my sleeves and went selling door to door, trying to convince every single association, every agency, every company, trying to recruit on campus, even local restaurants to please advertise in our newspaper, please. And I remember that around this time, there was a new restaurant on campus called York Street Nuda House. And it had just opened up. And I thought to myself, maybe I should try that place, because they just opened. And actually, we could really help them. And so I showed up, and the manager, Soraya, came out. And she was so kind and warm. And, and I asked her, begged her, could she please advertise in the school newspaper? I actually really think it could be helpful. And, and then she said, yes. And I was like, yes? And she said, yeah, absolutely, I'll take an ad. And I was so grateful and overjoyed. And then I was like, wait, I should cool it because she'll realize something's wrong. And then, um, and then she advertised. And when she did, 
I told her I was going to eat there every single day. I was going to bring all my friends there. I promise I'll eat there all the time. And, and then I did. I gained the sophomore 15. <laughs> and then I ate there all the time. I brought all my friends there. And then her business took off. And then because her business took off, she kept on advertising more and more in the newspaper. And then we took off. And we went from bankruptcy to record profitability in six months. So that was my first example for myself that I could be like my grandmother, that I could be entrepreneurial and just with my little step forward towards an opportunity that didn't look so perfect, it could even with that side alley become the right path for me ahead. So around this time, thinking again more and more like I could be like my grandmother, I then watched another movie and this time it was Legally Blonde. Has anyone seen it? <laughs> and in the movie, she goes off to grad school. Uh, Elle Woods, the main character. And I didn't have the funds to go and visit grad school, but because this was what, my one look at what it looked like, I thought maybe I should go there. Maybe they might give me the chance. So without ever going to them, I applied to Harvard, to actually the business school and not the law school, but they let me in. And, and then, so therefore, I ended up becoming one of their youngest students. I ended up becoming one of their youngest students to the point whereby when I looked around the class, everyone looked different than me. And I barely wanted to speak up, so I didn't. So the whole first year went by, and everyone was so smart, always raising their hands, always seemingly with the right thing to say. And sometimes I would know the right things too, and I had the right idea, but I would never raise my hand, which is a really bad thing. At HBS at Harvard Business School because the participation actually counts as pretty much your full grade. So you can imagine the challenge. But me, the shy girl, the introvert, I just didn't want to speak up. But again, the one thing I did have was this desire to never regret. I never wanted to look back on a moment, though. As much as I lacked that courage and confidence, I never wanted to look back on a moment and feel like I had let it pass by and that now I had to regret it. I always had that voice that was saying, you can't regret this, now you have to go rectify it. So when I came back my second semester to HBS, I forced myself to start writing down the ideas that I did have during class that I wanted to share and to force myself to raise my hand every single time I had the idea so that by the end of class, I would look at that note card and know that I at least tried to raise my hand for every single idea so that I didn't have to regret it. And I'm just saying this small little snippet in case there's a shy person in the crowd here, the introvert, who knows the right ideas often and has something to say but just finds themselves often stepping back, letting others say it. I know you're out there because I'm here. <laughs> and I therefore share this for you to always try to write down your ideas. Always force yourself to look down and know that you've said all of your ideas because your idea is worth it. Your voice is worth it. You deserve that seat at the table. So say that idea next time. Look at that card and know you tried to say every single idea on that card. So. At HBS, I started speaking up more and more, and then all of a sudden, then started to realize again, okay, what was that next step that I should do to be like my grandmother? And around that time, I had uh, this wonderful mentee of mine, Lizzie, who was um, a great friend to me, and I was her longtime mentor back from Yale had helped her through the newspaper. She had joined our, my team, et cetera, once we had taken off. 
I'd mentored her all throughout. And maybe that's why I was afraid to turn to her for help. I was scared to tell her that I actually for once needed her help instead of the other way around. But I knew I needed to ask her because she told me at some point that if ever I wanted you know, to enter the media industry, that she would be able to introduce me to someone. She didn't say who. So after years of pacing back and forth and always thinking about her but not turning to her, I finally realized again, I can't regret this, and I should ask her for whoever it was that she wanted to introduce me to. So when I did, I asked her, she was like, why did it take you so long? Of course I'll introduce you. And what I, the person I want to introduce you to is my father. And so she introduced me to Rob, her, her dad, who actually, as it turned out, was a longtime props master on Saturday Night Live for several decades. And I thought that was the coolest thing, props master for Saturday Night Live. But as it turned out, he was even cooler in that he not only did that, but at night was this incredible playwright on Broadway, uh, creating musicals and plays, very prolific writer. And uh, when I met with him, I said something that I hope you take with you and you repeat as well. Um, I said it very explicitly. I said, I want to learn from you. I've, you know, I work to learn and do anything you need. Give me the most mundane task, anything, everything. I'll do it. I can't wait to learn. Please give it to me. I want to help. And I literally said this as explicitly as that. And he said, anything and everything? Are you sure? And I said, yes, absolutely anything, everything, the most mundane task, give it to me. I want to help. And so he's like, great. Well, you can become our check-in girl for my next production. And I know you're all like smiling here today and you're thinking check-in girl, but I thought it was the coolest role to be able to check in people into productions and, and get to meet them. And many of them were producers and investors. And if I could check them in, you know, perhaps then um, Rob would get a sense of who was in the crowd and that would give him the momentum to really then make the show happen and create it and cause it to get momentum. And so I was the check-in girl, therefore, for his productions. And they had never seen a check-in girl like me because I totally went overboard, as I prom promised him I would. I, instead of checking people in with pen and paper, as they expected, I was creating whole Excel sheets and databases and researching every single point on every single person. And as I had told him, would take the most mundane task and I would I would kill it, I promised. So I did. As the check-in girl, I checked people in. I over-checked people in. And, and then as a result, it started creating so much momentum for the show that after a couple of weeks, Rob came to me and said, actually, instead of being our check-in girl, why don't you become our general manager for the show? And so that's how I became a general manager on Broadway. <laughs> and, so, and that's how I later then became Rob's protege. And as I started working with him more and more, then one day he turned to me and said, actually, I want to introduce you to my cousin as well, Stephen. And I was like, great, I, I would love to meet Stephen, even though I didn't know what Stephen did. But um, when I met with Stephen, as it turned out, um, he was an incredible thought leader in the music industry. He had discovered Lady Gaga. He had managed Britney Spears. Um, he was writing endless articles on how music was going to be disrupted in terms of distribution, because around this time Spotify was coming up and all these music distribution services. So I came to him and I said, 
anything and everything I wanted to learn. Just give me the most mundane task. I can't wait to learn. I'll help in any way possible. And he said, well, I heard that you had worked at your school newspaper, and I'm writing these articles, so you must be a good editor. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Even though, obviously, I had just been on the business side. I didn't know how the heck to edit. But I mentioned this to you because, and later I'm going to teach you how to reach out to your role models and get them to respond to you 100% of the time. But what you'll find as you do that is that all these VIPs always have these side projects, these personal things they're working on that you can help with and that they'll be grateful for and that therefore will enable you to become their protege. And that's what happened with Stephen. He sent me his articles that he was working on, article after article, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So that night, I still remember, as soon as he sent the first article that night, I remember removing every word and putting in new words and not knowing what to do. And I just tried to like show effort on every sentence by like doing something to each sentence. I remember that was like my metric, my criteria. But somehow, I ended up sending it back to him, and he ended up liking it. And he was like, yeah, you did a good job editing. So then he kept on sending me more and more and more. And then all of a sudden, he started sending me his projects and his ventures and everything he was working on. And that's how I became Steven's protege. And then later on, he said, now why don't I introduce you to my best friend, Anne, who is the president of BBC. And that's when I then went to go work for Anne, who actually now serves on our board at Mogul. And that's when I ended up becoming Anne's protege. And then I ended up working for her, and later one of the presidents of HBO, and later one of the presidents of CBS, where I became one of the youngest executives and helped to oversee strategy, business development for different properties across the US, across different cities, 29 different US cities. And during the day, I was learning about, therefore, strategy and business development. But this is around the time that, therefore, I started to really take things even more seriously. OK, my grandmother, I made this promise to her. I told her I would essentially follow in her footsteps to provide others in need with opportunities. So how do I do that? Probably by creating a company. And if I do that by creating a company, then what do I need to learn in order to make that a reality? Strategy, business, and development. Marketing and branding, content creation and distribution product and technology. Those were the different facets that I'd laid out for myself to learn. And so I thought, OK, CBS fulfills that. And then at nights, I started taking on different side jobs. Again, using my tactics that I'm going to show you later, whereby I would reach out to role models to collaborate with them, the best of the best in these areas, the three remaining areas, so that then I could learn more about them during the nighttime when I had free time. So I started reaching out, and then my second job, therefore, became working with the vice mayor of Beijing. We're creating, creating co-founding a venture together whereby we could invest Beijing resources into US talent here in the US within media entertainment. And then my third job at nights was uh, producing feature films and documentaries with A-list talent in Hollywood so that then I could learn about content creation and distribution. And with the vice mayor of Beijing, Back to that initiative, I had become their global head of marketing for that initiative. So I was learning about marketing and branding here. So basically, with each of my corporate jobs and side jobs, I was able to learn about the first three facets of how to create a company. And so um, I remember that the corporate job during the day was what was enabling me to pay bills and pay the rent. 
And the side jobs, just to be transparent, were typically very low paying and or even free, but just so that then I could learn, and at least that was my reward. So I had all three jobs, and I was working in them, and one day woke up, and Forbes had, um, one of their first years, if not the first, had put me on a 30 under 30 list, which no one knew what it was at the time, but, and I didn't know, but my email address had been on that list. And so all of a sudden, all these, um, I remember the very first day that it came up, all these people from around the world, these young girls, started to write me emails, finding my email address and asking me how to get these three jobs too that I just described. And I remember still waking up, worst habit in the world, 6 a.m., the first day it happened, seeing all these letters flooded and being so surprised, and, and then all of them sounding the same, saying that, they wanted an interview, a promotion, or these opportunities, and they wondered how to get them. It just didn't seem possible in their society. Because I was getting letters from all around the world, from Pakistan, China, Brazil, all throughout the US, all throughout the US. And so I started to write back. And me being me, I wouldn't write about the fluff or just like big talk. I actually would start to write down the tactics, like here, step by step, one, two, three, do this, one, two, three. And then all of a sudden they would tell me that my letter had changed their life. They did get that interview or that promotion or opportunity following my steps. And so all of a sudden I started writing back more and more. And that's when I came up with the final seed of the idea from Mogul. What if we had a platform whereby all of us could really share our obstacles and challenges and struggles and be really real with one another, not just share the sizzle reels and the highlights as we do on most other platforms, but be really real. And then from that, be able to share ideas and opportunities and insights amongst each other and become that much better and stronger together. And when I looked around at other platforms, it made sense because there were other information platforms out there like this from Reddit, one of the top four in the US. Who here is familiar with Reddit? Almost everybody. And you should be. It is one of the top four sites in the US, seventh in the world. And yet it was largely male millennials, I remember. Not, not all inclusive as a result, necessarily. And Wikipedia, too. Who here uses Wikipedia like every day? Yeah. So Wikipedia, too, did you know at the time at least, was 91% male users as well. So most of the information we're consuming on Wikipedia has been written by largely 91% men. So where were the women's voices and ideas and insights? Why couldn't we have a platform whereby all of our voices could be included, whereby everyone's voices could be elevated? And so when I came up with that idea, I realized I lacked the final thing to learn about how to create a company, product, and technology. So what I, I decided to do was at the time, realized that I didn't have millions of dollars to hire a team of engineers. But maybe the one final thing I could do was maybe teach myself how to code. Maybe that was the one final thing that I could do to learn this final aspect, to create this little idea I had to help all these young girls' lives. So every single day, I'd work with one of the presidents of CBS, Vice Mayor of Beijing, with amazing talent in Hollywood. And then at night, at 3 a.m., instead of being super tired, I would just be like so energized because it was my favorite moment of the night to finally be done with everything, which I otherwise loved. I really did love these three jobs. But then at night, at 3 a.m., I'd clear the kitchen table and get to teach myself Ruby on Rails. 
using this rupee on Rails tutorial by Michael Hartle, which changed my life. So I always notice, you know, that, I mean, I always think that I should share this PDF with everybody because it changed my life. So it's called Ruby on Rails by Michael Hartle, H-A-R-T-L, for anyone learning how to code now. And literally was so excited to get to it every single night, 3 a.m. First chapter, though, was so hard for me. It took me almost a month and a half to get through. I like couldn't get through it for some reason. It was so hard. But has anyone ever taken this PDF or used it, read it? So if you go and look it up later, what you'll notice is that the first chapter is on what software to download. Just the right software to download. I couldn't figure it out. It took me so long. I couldn't. I almost gave up multiple times. But I share this with you in case you're interested in learning how to code. It took me that whole entire first month or so to figure out that first chapter. And now I used to be embarrassed about it and cringe about it. But my CTO recently said, you should have never been so embarrassed or cringing because actually it was that first chapter that taught you the discipline of how to become an engineer. It was one of the most important chapters of all, the 10 chapters. And now I totally see he's right. In fact, it is, I, I liken it to the wax on, wax off phase and the Karate Kid. So totally was such an important chapter. The remaining nine chapters on actually how to code, I flew through, zoomed through in the next week and a half. It was so exciting to get to have an idea and actually build it out with my own two hands. It was amazing. So I remember about a month and a half later, therefore, I'd finished the first very ugly version of Mogul. So basic, so ugly, but it was what I created the idea I had, and it was so basic, but it had all the functions that I thought could help everyone get to share their obstacles and challenges, and I sent it out to those thousands of young women following me online, and we ended up exploding to users worldwide, becoming the, one of the fastest, actually the fastest growing platform for women at the time, and now ever. So that is how we got started. But what is Mogul? Mogul, again, is not social, just another social media app. It is a place of no likes, no upvotes, no feeds, just real women, real conversations. It's actually all-inclusive, so everyone can participate. But it's one in which everyone can really share what's going on in their lives, real obstacles, challenges, raw emotions, no highlights, no scissors. That is not the place for this. And we're across, of course, app, but of course across laptops and the web, mobile web, social email, TV shows, elevators, books with your mogul, girl mogul. Your mogul, as Isabel was sharing, is now a national bestseller, and you're going to get a copy at the end and just ranked in the top 10 best-selling business books in the US, according to the Wall Street Journal. So has been doing really well and has been a very transformative book for those who have read it already. People are telling me that they've been earmarking every page, highlighting every other page, photocopying the page on how to get a promotion and hanging up on their walls. Um, so that's been really amazing to hear. And then we have our events globally as well, such as Mobile X, our annual conference, which is actually held in a convene this past year. So familiar space here. We're across 196 countries and 30,000 cities around the world with women telling us that we've changed their lives. One of my favorite letters is actually here, a snippet of it, a young girl from Pakistan telling me, telling us at Mogul that here, girls' life is all about marriage. I'm just 16 years old, but now, thanks to Mogul, I can be more, I realize I can be more than what others say. And I'm kind of a feminist now, and I love, love, love this Mogul. That's my favorite letter, so I have it all memorized. And uh, 
For every dollar that we earn, we provide free educational resources to women in need through international partners like the United Nations, having signed a historic partnership with the UN as of this past year, so that now we're working essentially to provide over 62 million women around the world with free educational resources. What is this all um, encompassing? So essentially, again, we're the platform on top with a one-for-one -one model. The way in which we drive that model is through software. That includes software that we've developed to provide companies with the ability to attract, retain, and advance diverse talent. So that's actually our business model and the inside and how we became a profitable social enterprise. We license technology that enables us to, to power over 150 Fortune 500 clients and thousands of more companies around the world with software that enables them to attract diverse talent, as well as train them through our webinar trainings on unconscious bias, inclusive leadership, gender equity-based trainings as commissioned by the New York Department of Education, and then other tools and softwares that enable um, employees, for example, to report back feedback to HR leaders in real time anonymously or non-anonymously. And this all makes up our Mogul at Work division. But the reason I included this is because there's another division here. You can see other divisions here within Mogul. And one of my other favorites is Mogul Redefined. Mogul Redefined is one of my favorites because it includes our educational resources, our books, You Are Mogul, and then Girl Mogul coming out next April, and our annual conference, as well as the courses that emerge from the conference, which cover how to become a mogul in every facet of your life, taught by the very best of the best in the world, from Susie Orman on the finance side, so you can literally learn how to put together a personal finance budget direct from Susie and, and more. So Mogul Redefined, though, is my favorite division because of its name, because it commemorates our biggest feat yet, which is that when I first started Mogul several years ago, if you Googled the word Mogul, if you searched Mogul on the App Store, I remember that the first search results on Google were successful businessman on dictionary.com or different men's names, Warren Buffett, Donald Trump, Rupert Murdoch, Take it or leave it. It's <laughs> these names that would come up. And then now, if you Google the word mogul and or you search mogul on the App Store, we are the number one search result. So we have helped to redefine the word mogul forever after now for girls and women to know that they can be moguls too, for the next generation to know that the word is attributable to them as well as men. So mogul redefined commemorates our biggest feat yet as an organization. And why is this all important to the world before we move to my favorite part of all and the most important part of all? Why is this important to you? Um, why is this important to the world? Because uh, first, three statistics I want to leave you with. First, women represent just 10 to 15% of share of voice globally in terms of op-eds, in terms of boards. We represent just 10 to 15% of share of voice. So that means that Mogul, by encouraging all to speak up, all to share their voice, all to have a seat at the table, ultimately is accelerating this rate to 50% or more. Women right now just represent 10 to 15% of top leadership positions. So it's going to take us until 2085 to reach parity with men across leadership positions. So by Mogul's model being around licensing technology to Fortune 500 companies around the world and even more, 20,000 more companies around the world, then, then um, in order to attract diverse talent, then, then we can accelerate this rate to 50% or more and accelerate the, the year at which we reach parity with men in top leadership positions. And finally, 
there are 62 million girls around the world who lack access to an education, who because they are a girl, because of their gender, because of who they are, literally prevented from their societies, by their societies, from attending school. So because of Mogul's partnership with the UN or more, we can overcome the statistic and ensure that all receive an education thereafter. So why is this all important to you? So there are three lessons I wanted to leave you here with. And the first lesson was to be strategic yet flexible. Everything I mentioned tonight was for a specific reason, to lean to these three final lessons. And if you'll notice, all along the way, I kept on mentioning that I didn't have much of a specific idea of what to do. I had a broad passion, purpose, why, which was to follow my grandmother's footsteps. And that broad idea, that main path ahead, I took actually, I went to through many, many side alleys. So I had a kind of strategic idea, but I was very flexible along the way in how I would get there. And what I did was I thought of the idea that I wanted to accomplish five or 10 years from now. I thought of that idea, and then I worked backwards. I wrote down my passion, my purpose, my why, communicated it over and over and over again to everyone I would meet. But then I, would work, I worked backwards by coming up with the skill sets that I would need to learn in order to get there. And then I would reach out to the very best of the best in that skill set in order to learn from them and then accelerate myself towards adopting that skill set so that I could get to my big goal. So that was how I was strategic yet flexible along the way. So for you, think about your passion, your purpose, your why that you were communicating at the beginning of this session. What is your passion, your purpose, your why? What would make you get out of bed every single day so that you felt like your life and career were one and the same? What would make you feel like you weren't going to work every day, that your life and career are one and the same? Write that down. Then write down the skill sets that you need to get there. Write down all the various skill sets that you need to learn. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until you get promoted. In fact, perhaps your dream, why, purpose, passion is to get promoted in the current role you found, or perhaps it's a lateral role. But there's certainly something that you feel like could combine your life and career into becoming one and the same. Now, what are the skill sets you need to learn to get there? Write those down. And then write down the role models, 50 names for each that you have for each of those skill sets that you could contact right away in order to accelerate yourself. You could collaborate with them. You could bring them into your journey. You could meet with them. And just through that meeting alone, you would learn from them. But hopefully, through a collaboration, it would accelerate you even more. Write down their names. And I'm going to, again, teach you how to contact them. But then when you reach out to them, again, reach out to 50, not just one. Don't wait until tomorrow. Just do it tonight. Why wait? After all, if you get silence or you hear a no, You'll remember anyways that a no is a not right now that will turn into a yes. That's my favorite saying at Mogul that we say all the time. A no is a not right now that will turn into a yes, which we learned very early on at Mogul, actually the very first month. Uh, what happened was that the beginning of Mogul, I remember uh, having exploded to millions of women. And all of a sudden, the number one accelerator in the world contacted us, saying, we heard about your big explosion, your growth. It's incredible. Why don't you apply to our number one accelerator in the world, and maybe you'll get to the second round. And we saw that the application deadline was tomorrow. And we thought, OK, let's go for it. Let's apply. And so I remember applying. And then, and then we got to the second round. And then we got to the third round, and then fourth round, and then and the final round. And then final round, 
kind of reminds me of that time when I stepped into the board meeting for that Niels newspaper. Everyone looked really angry for some reason inside this room. <laughs> Everyone looked different than me. Everyone seemed to be, for whatever reason, sort of irritated. I think they were having a long day of interviews. And what should have been probably a very awesome meeting turned into a total grilling session. I remember we were in a total grilling session to the point whereby we stepped out of the room. And by we, I mean me and one and a half other people I kind of brought onto the team, into a ragtag team. <laughs> and we stepped out of the room. And we said to ourselves, to each other, well, we, we didn't get that. We totally didn't get that. And then a week later, as it turned out, we didn't get it, <laughs> just as we thought. <laughs> but I remember looking around our ragtag team of two and a half people and saying to them, it's OK. It's OK, actually. It really is OK, because what would they have done anyways but introduce us to all the right people and the right mentors and the right investors and put a fire under us for the next year? What would they have done but that? But actually, it is actually OK, because we will introduce ourselves to the right people and the right mentors and the right investors. And we will put a fire under ourselves, too. And, and then we did. We put a fire under ourselves. And we worked harder the next year than we ever would have had we even gotten a yes. We put a fire under ourselves. We worked so hard by the end of the first year. We had not only become the fastest growing platform, but we had become the largest female millennial platform worldwide. And so then, a year later, the number one accelerator in the world caught us and said, you were the one that got away. Actually, we're so sorry we said, no, you've totally got the spot. You've totally got the spot. You don't even have to apply. You're the ones who got away. But by then, we were too big. So it was our turn to say no. <laughs> so a no is a not right now that will turn into a yes. Take all any negativity you ever face and realize that you cannot let it win over you. You will have to win over it. You have to win over it. So funnel that negativity into positivity. Know that that's the way you're going to win. Funnel it all into positive channels, and you will win. Two, collaborate to accelerate. So all throughout our talk, I've been saying I'm going to teach you how to do this. How are you going to reach out to your role models in life and get a response and get a life-changing opportunity? So for myself, again, I would write down my passion, my purpose, my why, the skill sets I need to learn to get there, the 50 names of the people that I admired. And now how do you contact those 50 people? So you're going to use one of three ways. First, of course, through a mutual connection, you can get to them. Everyone knows that. Second, you probably also know that if you contact and connect via LinkedIn, their contact information becomes available. Actually, though, as of this month, LinkedIn has made it harder. They've actually, through privacy settings, disabled that feature on mass. So then the third method is through other software, like Interseller, for example, I-N-T-E-R-S-E-L-L-E-R, -E -E that enables you to hover over such profiles and actually be able to scrape their information. And as a result of these types of softwares, you'll be able to then get their personal or professional contact, their best guess, and it's very accurate. So then through one of these methods, you'll be able to email them. And how do you email them? So over the course of 15 years, I've optimized this email approach. And what I do is I share in the subject title the tone that I use in approaching any relationship, which is one of friendship and warmth and kindness 
That's how I view all relationships, all interactions. I actually don't believe in networking. I don't believe in the word. I don't believe in the transactional nature of networking. I believe in friendship. I believe in that being the core of every relationship. And the reason I say this is because of when I was in high school at Plano, uh, back where Lance went. There, I remember that the high school teacher that I had for speech, actually, she said something that changed my life forever after. She told me in Plano, she had conservative political views. It's Plano, it was actually the third most conservative city in the US at the time. We had a Democratic president. And even though she had different political views than him, that president was her favorite president in all US history. Why? Because one day she got to meet him, and when she met him, he made her feel like the only person in the room. He made her feel so heard and so seen, and he was trying to learn from her, and he made her feel like the only one there. And because of that, she looked at him so fondly thereafter. For him, for her, he was so beloved. She never forgot him. He was her favorite US president. So. When I heard that, I promised myself that any time I ever talked to someone, I would approach every conversation in that same way, make them feel heard, make them feel seen, have at their core a friendship. And at the end of the day, I would try to learn from them because every single one of you knows something better than me. And so I would try to learn from each one of you in this way. And so anyways, that's how I approach my email. So my email at the top, the subject title is Thank you and invite this week. Thank you because I want to thank them for taking the time to read this email and invite this week because I want to invite them into this relationship with me. It's extremely effective for me, over 92% open rate. Um, however, it is not the most effective subject title on, according to research. Does anyone know what the most effective subject title ever is according to research? What's that? Oh. Those are good guesses. It's actually parentheses, no subject. People love to open when it says parentheses, no subject. <laughs> I actually told this once to a group of high school users of Mogul. And after that, I got a slew of emails with parentheses, no subject. And I definitely opened every single one to see. Um, so that's actually the most effective one. And then in my email note, I say, hi, first name. It's such a pleasure to meet you over email. Um, I've heard incredible things about you from XYZ person or article, and I'm XYZ, and that's where I would describe myself. And my tip here is that no matter where I was in my life or career, I always assumed that no one knew me. Even now, to this day, I will always assume that no one knows me, no one knows who the heck I am, so I should describe it with as much FOMO as possible, fear of missing out. So sometimes that's bitten me. For example, I, because I always assume no one knows me, then that I was on a list of recently for, for girls across New York, women across New York. And everyone was chiming in randomly that they were going to attend our, our MogulX conference. And everyone was saying, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. So I chimed in and was like, oh, I'll just add in. I'm going to be there. And then later on at our conference, all these women came up to me and were like, when you chimed in saying you're going to be there, we were all laughing hysterically because of course you're going to be there. <laughs> but I've always assumed that no one knew me. And as a result, even no matter where I was, and so I encourage you again to always assume that no one knows you. So no matter where you are in your life or career, to always try to therefore frame this as excitedly as possible 
create FOMO, and then finally the clincher to always then offer your help up. Remember how I would offer my help to Rob and to Steve and so say it so explicitly? Here, I learned from that approach to say, and I look forward to collaborating with you and, and helping you and providing free help, I would often say even, and so supporting all your initiatives going forward. So anyways, that was the structure of my email, and the rest of it was just for conversion purposes, helpful as well. For example, saying, are you available for a five-minute tea, five-minute phone call, 15-minute tea, something they can't decline because of the short time frame. Then next sentence, are you available between 3 and 5 on Monday and Wednesday? That's much more effective than are you available on Monday and Wednesday, which is more effective than are you available next week, which is more effective than are you available this month. The narrower you got with your window time frames, the actually more effective the response and conversion. And then finally, other useful tools for conversion. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing back from you. If you include that phrase, it actually leads to more conversion as well, because people are like, oh, she's going to be bummed if I don't reply. So thank you, and I look forward to hearing back from you. I really look forward to hearing back from you. even leads to more responses. And then <laughs> warmest wishes, Tiffany signature, then background information that they could reference, because I never want to assume that someone goes out and takes the time, even a few seconds, to go and research me or mogul, et cetera. Even to this day, I might still include a full paragraph of description and research for them underneath. So that was the full approach that I would take, and then I would email out, and then it would lead me to incredible responses. And so I encourage you again to think of your passion, your purpose, your why. The skill sets you need to learn, the 50 role models you need to learn from, you need to contact in order to learn each. Then you're going to contact them through mutual connection or warm approach through LinkedIn or through Interstellar. Then you're going to use that email template. And then email out 50, not just one. Because of those 50, 10 will come up and, and become meetings. And two will become opportunities and one will change your life. So contact 50, and you will result in an incredible, life-changing opportunity. The way I learned that was actually at the very beginning of Mogul as well. So we used this approach, and then all of a sudden got a reply from one of the biggest industry veterans, the founder of Match.com. I just started Mogul. I think I literally had launched it you know, just then, and all of a sudden had emailed out that same day that the accelerator had said no to us. I emailed out. All of a sudden, founder of Match.com said, yes, I'll get on a call. So I was like, great, amazing. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I don't even have a pitch deck. I don't even know what that is. So I put together this pitch deck overnight, got on a call, and immediately realized I had made every single mistake possible. I literally put all black backgrounds. And you shouldn't do that. What? And now I've learned that because no one wants to print out a deck that's all black. They don't want to waste their toner. So you didn't print it out. And then I thought to myself, oh, we have all this great data. I should just display all the data. And I put it on one slide, thinking, oh, he's going to like, be really impressed by all that data. But of course, like, the more senior people are, like, the more they don't even look at data. But the point is that like, if you do include data, you should actually spread it out. Spread it out so that every single slide you have is a home run. If it's not a home run, it's extraneous. If it's not a slide that if that was the only slide the person you were presenting to saw that then would make them want to buy in, then again, it's extraneous and you should delete it. Instead, every single slide that you have in a presentation should hit a home run and it should get someone to want to buy in from seeing that slide alone. So anyways, I didn't do that. I put all the data in one slide <laughs> and he didn't read it. 
but he liked where I was coming from. He liked that he understood where I was coming from because it reminded him of him. It reminded him of his beginnings, his first days, when he started Match, how he had almost a million users and how he lost them all because he didn't have funding. And so he said he didn't want me to lose my users. And so he said, I'll come on board as an investor and advisor. And I was like, really? And he was like, yes, send me the documents. And I was like, what documents? <laughs> <laughs> so I still remember to this day, he said, next time you talk to someone like me, make sure you have gone to founderinstitute.com for your advisor documents, and you go to ycombinator.com for your SAFE agreement, your investment agreement. SAFE stands for Simple Agreement for Future Equity, which is really entrepreneur friendly. And if there's any investors in the audience, they're probably saying, don't even say it, don't share that, because it's not investor friendly. Um, but as a result, got those two documents, sent it over to him, and he became our first investor advisor, and it became a life-changing opportunity. So for yourself, reach out to your 50 role models, and again, it's gonna result in something incredible. Final lesson, follow your gut. So all along the way, I mentioned that I was shy, I'm introverted, you can see it for yourself, I can be shy, introverted. I lacked a lot of courage and confidence all throughout my life, but the one thing I didn't, and the one thing I therefore did have was this desire to never regret. I always, at the end of the day, followed my gut, followed my instinct, as I knew that I, I couldn't regret it and I had to step forward, I had to speak up. And so for yourself, if you're that person that I was alluding to before, the one who's introverted, shy, who knows the right idea, but just always, always let someone else say it, just start to speak up, say it, because incredible things can happen. Just Force yourself to write down those ideas and to share it so that you can look down at that card and know that you tried to say everything that you wanted to say. You had the right ideas. You should say it. The way I learned that was two years ago in Indiana. All of a sudden, I was invited to this, uh, this palace, the palace in Vienna, by this mysterious organizer who happened to invite about 20 pioneers from around the world. In fact, he called this trip Pioneers. And so I showed up, and when I showed up into this room in the palace, he locked us in, the mysterious organizer. And I looked around and he said, you have one hour together, 20 of you, to talk amongst each other and to decide which global issue, if solved, would solve all other global issues. And so I looked around and we were like, oh shoot, we've got one hour to talk about this. <laughs> and I remember looking around this room and just being in awe, total awe, um, because there was, there was Adam Shire who created Siri of Apple phones. There was the Prince of Saudi Arabia, not the one who's currently in trouble, but Sixth in the Line. Uh, Sixth in the Line who owns media conglomerates across the Middle East. And then there was Uma Valetti of Memphis Meats, recreating meat without animals. And there was Boy and Sled of Ocean Cleanup, cleaning up our oceans as we speak. And Ralph Simon, can't forget Ralph Simon, who created Jive Records, which is Black Seat Boys and Britney Spears and NSYNC's label, or was at the time. So love Ralph Simon, we can't forget him. So I was in awe of everybody in the room. And so sure enough, one by one, every single person was sharing the global issue that they were working on that therefore, if solved, would solve all other global issues. Poverty, energy, famine. And I was happy to let them all say their answer and 
I wanted to be in the corner and make sure that you know they didn't hear me, they didn't see me. I could be in the corner listening to them all, uh, and that would be good enough for me. Um, I remember therefore like cowering in the corner, like hoping no one noticed I didn't say anything. And then 19, spoke, 19 voices had spoken. And then I thought to myself, well, the thing is, I know the right answer. I know the right answer to this question. The global issue that if solved would solve all other global issues. So I had to say it, even though I don't want to. And my voice was shaking, and it was silent, and everyone had spoken, and, and no one had noticed me. So I would be safe. I, wouldn't, I didn't have to say anything. But then I went ahead and stood up. I stood up and I said the right answer. I knew the right answer to this question. Girls' education. It was girls' education that if solved would solve all other global issues because when girls and women are equal to all others in a society, then everything flourishes. Families flourish, cities flourish, economies flourish, countries take off, innovations rise. It was girls' education. And so I said this aloud in the silence, and then one by one by one, I tried to say something much more eloquent to each person. One by one, since we were at the end of the hour, and one by one, I convinced each and every single pioneer in that room that it was God's education. And by the end of the hour, we had the consensus. It was God's education. And then, actually, we had a minute or a few minutes left. And we were like, since we have a few minutes left, what's the solution for God's education? And with these 19 brilliant minds in the room, me not saying anything further, they came up with the solution for what they believed would be the solution for God's education. And they didn't know the model, the infrastructure behind Mogul, since I just shared with you what it was behind the scenes. And you can tell that you probably wouldn't know it unless I showed it to you behind the scenes. So therefore, they came up with it on their own. But what they came up with was indeed the Mogul model, the Mogul infrastructure. What they came up with as the ultimate solution for girls' education was Mogul. And when they learned that, they said, well, then we should all invest. And then they did. So that's why, thank you. <laughs> So that's why you should always, always speak up. Incredible things can happen. When you know the right answer, just force yourself. As intimidating as it is, and as you'll remember with me, hopefully I'll pop it in your mind the next time you're in an intimidating moment, and remember that intimidating moment that I faced, and hopefully that'll force you to go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say the right answer, because something incredible can happen. So anyways, I hope that throughout all this, you learned again how to pinpoint your passion, your purpose, your why, how to think about the skill sets that you need to learn in order to get there, all the role models that you need to contact, how you'll contact them to get a response so that it leads to 50 replies, 10 meetings, two opportunities, one life-changing, incredible opportunity, and that all along the way you follow your instincts. But final, final lesson is that as you do this, Always remember one final thing, which is to be kind and authentic and generous. Always be giving and giving and giving, because that's the energy you're giving back, and that's the energy you're going to get back, too. That's the energy you're giving off, and you're going to get back. After all, if I hadn't been giving and giving and giving to all those girls all throughout my life and early on, I wouldn't have the opportunity and honor to be here with you today. So thank you. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, 
and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.